0: Good to see you. Good to see you. All right. Y'all got a clock on me back there. Y'all can turn that off right now. Good to be back. I tell you what, I'm excited. It's been a long time since I've stood in this pulpit. But um, as Lee said, um, I am now a vocational children's pastor. I've been in vocational children's ministry for about seven or eight years straight, off and on for about 12 years in some previous ministry settings. And... Um, There's a couple different things, one different thing specific about teaching children than teaching adults. You can ask adults rhetorical questions and they won't answer. (laughs) Children will answer rhetorical questions with the most utter and brutal honesty that they can muster. Don't ever, if you're teaching children, don't ask them rhetorical questions because you will get answered. But uh, I love working with the. I, I like to call them the littles. They're so much fun. They're 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 a hoot. I love it when preschoolers come up and hug my leg and say, "Oh, I love you, Mr. Rich." I say, "I love you too." Now get off, get get off. Um, and then and then you've got the fourth and fifth graders, the preteens, who get kind of get too cool to to hug the children's pastors. So it's, hey, fist bump, yo yo. And and so I, I still got a little bit of my youth mindset held over. And I was young when I came to Dawson Street. I didn't, there's Bob Cummins. Good to see you, brother. My hero. We, 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 we almost tore up that old bluebird bus a few times, didn't we? Um, um, I lost track of what I was going to say. You had that effect on me, Mr. Bob. But um, I was um, 27 or 28 when I came here, right out of seminary. Didn't have a clue of what I was doing. Didn't know what in the heck I was doing. I just knew that I was going to do the best I could and love people and love God and just pray I didn't make a train wreck. (laughs) And this church loved me and loved me and loved me. And it took me a while to learn. I'm I'm still learning. I'm a lifelong learner. We're all learners. But it took me a while to kind of learn how to keep it in between the lines and not run it off into the ditch and yank it back. And so um. I remember very clearly that um, uh, this is one of my mishaps early on in ministry. This was right after Lee came, so it was 2000. I'd been here. I came in '98, and was here, I was here from '97 to 2002, so five years, almost almost five years. And so I had been here a couple years when this happened. But we were taking a group of two students to Six Flags for a Christian music festival, and the first thing is. Don't ever camp out in the middle of July across the street from Six Flags in Atlanta in the hood with tents, and go and walk around a park all day, and then go back and sleep in a tent in the middle of crime-ridden inner city Atlanta. I don't know what I was thinking. Chris Chris, Chris and Deborah Fitzgerald went with me on this one specific trip. I'm thinking about, and so we were going to be there for a week, or like Monday through Friday, and. So I needed money to eat, and I knew I needed money for this and money for that. and I had a church credit card, but a lot of times they didn't take cat, they didn't have credit cards at the park. So I knew I was gonna be there for a long time and I, I had we had a bunch of kids going, and so I, I needed some cash. So I, 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 I took money out of the children's or the, the youth ministry account uh, like $400. so I could make sure they had enough cash if something went wrong, emergency. Anybody, you know, kids are going to lose money, going to lose stuff. And, and, and in this case, it wasn't the child who lost the money. But um, um, so I had $400 in my pocket. I had the church credit card. And back then in 99 or 2000, Having a having a five hundred dollar long distance prepaid card was like gold because I mean there was no no cell phones and long distance if you want to call somebody long distance that five hundred dollar long distance card was great and the church I had it from the church and so I could call long distance I could make long distance calls and we rented a van to go and we took the one the one of the smaller buses the, min, the old I don't know if you still had the mini bus we took the mini bus and we go to Six Flags and um we're there and. It's it's early on in the trip, like the first or second, I think it's like the second day. And, you know, we're out in the hot sun. And so, anyway, I remember we're riding, the, but me, a bunch of kids and I, we're getting on the mind bender. And so, let me back up. Before the trip, my wife says, Rich, don't take a backpack. Take a fanny pack so you can put all your stuff in your fanny pack and you don't have to take it off. And it's handy right there. I said, I said, baby, I'm too cool to wear a fanny pack. You don't understand. I'm not wearing a fanny pack. I'm too cool for that. I'm wearing a backpack because I'm hip. You know, I'm a, I'm a student pastor. I'm hip. And um, should have wore the fanny pack. Um, um So I have, and, and, and on top of that, I had taken my wallet with $400 of the church's money, probably $100 of my own money, church credit card, calling card. I think there may have even been a gas card in there from the church. And I had put it in my backpack with the keys to the rental van. And we're getting on the mind bender and I'm like, well, I can't ride the mind bender with this backpack. Oh, there's a convenient little cubby right there. I can put it in the cubby while I go ride the mind bender. So I ride the mind bender at Six Flags, get off, there's my blue backpack, right where it was, grab it, and I go. And go we're having fun, you know, it's it's hot though, and so we're going to eat, and I'm hungry, I'm sweaty, I'm tired, I'm ready to eat. And I go Take off the backpack and I go to get my wad out, and it's not my backpack. And I said, Oh my goodness. So, you've never seen a short little fat man run so fast. (laughs) I sprinted faster than Usain Bolt back to the mind bender. I mean, I'm in wide open, full fledged sprint. I'm saying, Get out of the way. I haven't taken no prisoners. Get it, screaming people, get out of the way. Go to the mind bender, go to the cubby. My backpack's gone. So um, one of the youths say, hey, go, go to Lost and Found. I said, yes, go to Lost and Found. So we sprint to Lost and Found. I've got, I've got a few teenagers with me. We, we're out scattered throughout the park, and we've got adults with everybody. And I have a few teenagers with me as I'm the adult with that small group. And we go to Lost and Found. And lo and behold, there's my backpack. I'm like, oh. And I opened up, but that thing is empty as my plate at an all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> it is, there's nothing in there. So I I, be, I just feel my stomach fall through, through through my knees into my feet and I'm like what am I going to do? I said I've got to call Lee. But y'all, let me tell you. This I have known Lee Waller for a long time. And this was the closest he's ever been to being mad <laughs> with me that I have ever known. So, I, you remember this Lee? Really. I call you <laughs> Have you you've heard of a nerve block? You got a mental nerve block in your neck to forget this moment. I call you and said, Lee, Lee, I lost it. And he said, What'd you lose, Rich? I lost everything. I I lost the money. I lost the keys to the van. I lost credit cards. And Lee's like, You didn't, Rich. I said, Yeah, Lee, I did. I I did. I'm about to cry. And so I um, go and and Lee wires me some money. First of all, he says. He gets his credit card and there's the same number he says call and cancel the credit card we're just going to have to eat the calling card number and um and he wired me some money and then i had to pay uh, a a locksmith to get the van the rental van a new key and so we we got it back and i remember i was done it was that night it was the end of the night and i it'd been a long day and i'm walking back and I'm, i'm i'm feeling pretty defeated and one of our kids a younger kid Younger student walks up and goes, Mr. Rich, it's going to be okay because I love you. It melted my heart, and I said, I love you too, but it ain't going to be okay. (laughs) I got to suffer here for three more days, and then I got to go back and face the the music. Well, that was hard to believe. That was about 20 years ago, and now I am facing the reality that at the end of this month, I'm going to be 50. The big 5-0. Fifty years old, but you know what? I'm not afraid of it. I'm excited about it. I I embrace fifty. I am. My wife tells me I've been turning fifty ever since I was forty-five. <laughs> she says, "You're the oldest man I know, Rich. You're a little old man. You come come in, go home to go to be- eat supper, go to bed." And she goes, "You play with the kids, and then you go to sleep." I said, "Well, isn't that what you do?" I don't know. I'm tired. I need sleep. But um. But anyway, um. But I'm facing fifty, and um. I look back at, at, at some of the guys who were retired, and I'm not, I'm not retiring anytime soon, don't get me wrong. Oh, by the way, you know you're getting old when you can name this, the specific date and year that you can retire based upon when you receive Medicare, when you receive Social Security, and when your 401k will allow you to. When you can name that date on the calendar and circle it, you're getting old. If you pass that day, you're old as dirt. <laughs> now nah, I'm just playing, but um, it's kind of funny because um, um, I uh, looking at, looking at that at, at that that 50 year mark and getting older, I look back when I was first here and I was young. I, I like to play golf. Back, I used to like love to play golf, but now I don't because I, I have I have kids, and when you have kids, they cure your slice. You just don't play and you don't slice the ball anymore. Um, but um, I remember Bob Cummings and Mr. Norman Neesmith and Mr. Henry Owen and some others, they'd go out and these guys, they, they were all retired, these, these guys would play golf four or five days a week. They'd take their carts and they'd pull them behind them at, at Country Oaks and they'd go play and I'd hop on once, once a week, maybe a Friday when I was off, I would go play with them, try to play with them as much as I can, thinking, golly, how do these guys do it? They're retired, they're old. And they're pulling up a car up Heart Attack Hill on, at Country Oaks, pulling their clubs. How do these guys, how can they afford to do it? How, um, but I learned the lesson. I learned how to do it. The key to happiness in retirement is AARP. <laughs> AARP, these guys were getting 57% discounts at Country Oaks. They got to play four times a week for the price of two. I'd play that much too if I had that kind of discount, but I'm going to get that kind of discount here in about 25 days or so, 23 days. But who's counting? Um, and um, but I am excited about ARP. I mean, I, I get I get discounts on food, I get discounts on hotels, I get discounts on vacations, I get discounts on travel. Everything. There's discounts for everything. That's something some of y'all may be saying. Well, you know. I don't support ARP and their liberal agenda and their politics. Well, you know what? That's all good, and I respect that. But for me, politics are out the window when you get fifty percent off at the Golden Corral. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm getting older, and I'm ARP has become a reality here in just a few, a couple, three weeks. I'm gonna, I'm going to be an official ARP member. Excited about it. Um, but. Also, with age and growing older, it's not just a a time of relaxing and playing golf. And there also comes a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, and a lot of worry. Last January, a year and a half ago, I fell in the ice outside of my house and broke my tailbone. My neighbor said they heard a howling coyote. I said, that was me. (laughs) Oh! So um, and I fell and I broke my tailbone. So I went to the doctor, and she checked me out. Got said there's nothing we can do. He gave me a donut pill. I had to sit on a on a little donut pill. I had one in my home, one in my office. Oh, by the way, by the way, let me just interject. You know you're getting old. You know you're getting old when you have a pair of reading glasses that you bought at the. When you have 12 pair of reading glasses that you bought at the Dollar Tree in every room of your house, so you never have to go without reading glasses. You know, anyway, I had a donut pill at home, in the office, in the car. I had, I had like a dozen donut pillows. I could, I could be, a, I, I like a dozen donuts. I had a dozen donuts. I had to sit on donut pillows everywhere. Well, anyway, my doctor said, Rich, I want to, I want to do some blood work on you. You're, you're overweight. I was pretty bad overweight. I'd gotten back. I was here three years ago and I was rather slim. I'd lost some weight, but I put it back on because I took it off the wrong ways for the wrong reasons. When you take it off by starving yourself so you can look good, you're not going to maintain it. So, and so I'd gained it back, and she she, she did blood work. She said, Rich, you're diabetic. She goes, your blood, your A1C is really bad, not really bad, but it was bad enough where it was off the charts, diabetic type 2. She goes, and you have kidney malfunction due to your diabetes. They call it nephropathy, 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 if I said that correct. That is where your kidneys begin to shut down and have malfunctions due to your diabetes. Diabetes, you have nephropathy, neuropathy, which is your extremities where they affect, and retinopathy, which it affects your eyes. You can go blind. And so, um and I'm doing that too, but that's not retinopathy. But that's just old age. But anyway, um So she goes, "Um, Rich, if you don't do something, you're going to be looking at um, um, dialysis in 15 to 20 years. And this was a year and a half ago. So that would put me at, what, 63, 64 on kidney dialysis because I didn't take care of myself because I was getting older. I was, at that time, at that time I was 48. And so I I said, Doc, I said, let me... Don't put me on medicine. Let me lose it myself. Let me let me exercise and diet and get myself back in health, back in shape. She goes, "You got four months. If you're not if you're not better, I'm putting you on meds." said, "Okay, four months." I worked. I started running a year and a half a year and a half ago. I started running. I'm still running today. I, I actually, I started walking two miles a day. Now I'm up to running five to six miles a day, five days five days a week. And I, granted, I'm not lighting up the concrete like the flash, but I'm I, I'm doing I'm doing pretty good. Um, um, and I started eating healthy and, and watching what I eat and eating less carbohydrates, um, eating lots of protein, not, cutting out a lot of sugars and I went back four months later, I had lost 30 pounds, my, my, my A1C had dropped down significantly and the, the next time I went back um, I lost 50 pounds and my, my A1C was perfect and I just went back to the doctor this week and my A1C was perfect again. I've lost, I've lost a total of fifty pounds in the past past year and a half, and I, or I lost fifty pounds in the first six months. And I've kept it off for the past year, and my doctor said, "Rich, I wish you would come talk to all of my patients." I said, "Hey, I do anything for for a price. I any, I can be bought. Uh, you just line them up, give me a check, line them up. I tell them whatever you want me to." Um. But uh, anyway, but I'm faced with the reality at fifty years old. If I don't take care of myself and In just fifteen years, I could be on dialysis—reality for me. And as an older adult, I'm facing the reality of health issues. We face, as older adults and senior adults, we face the reality of health issues. It's part of who we are. Also, part of who I am as an aging older adult or old adult—not older, older, old aging. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not young. I'm not median. I'm kind of older. Um. Um. I'm watching my 401k. You, and here's another way you know you're, old, you're getting old. When your favorite channel goes from ESPN to CNBC, because you're, your, you're watching your stocks on, on your 401k, and when you know the symbol of the stocks that make up the bulk of your portfolio, you're, there, there it is. And you got your financial advisor on speed dial, you, you know you're getting older. And so we're faced with the reality of, of anxiety, Fear and worry about retiring, about living in that retirement, staying retired, supporting ourselves, supporting our family. I'm, I'm almost 50, and Paige and I have come to a, over the past year, have had a brutal wake-up call. Uh, last July, this time last year, the 4th of July, um, Paige's father was diagnosed with cancer with lung cancer and he died two months later only made it two months and um, he, he passed away the first of September in October her mother moved in with us permanently and um, wow that's a whole other sermon in itself <laughs> since then we have had the ambulance at our house four times she's been hospitalized twice but sadly She was in the hospital for really bad pneumonia, and we got a call at 4 a.m. said, you need to get to the hospital. She's not going to make it. And Paige raced up to the hospital. I had to take the kids to school later that morning. I didn't go. I went out right after. She pulled through. She's tough. Um, I know she's tough because she's my mother-in-law. She has to be to put up with me. But um, she's living with us, and we've had to call 911 four times since October. She's been in the hospital, Fell. I, one, one morning, early, I was in the bathroom, and I heard, Rich, like, what? And, and my triplets came in. By the way, I have eight-year-old triplets. They are, they are wild, wacky, and fun. I'll just say that. They came and they, they said, my triplets call me Gawky. That's what they call me, Gawky. It's not daddy. It's Gawky. I don't understand it. It's just part of my life. They came up. And they said, Gawky, Gawky, nanny fell, and there's blood everywhere. So I run into the kitchen, and she fell and hit her head, and there was blood just spewing. So we called 911. I woke up Paige, and another trip to the emergency room, get her taken care of. And Living in that sandwich generation where I'm caring for my children, but I'm also caring for my parents, that's a, that's a, that's a big, big source of anxiety and fear and worry for me and my family. Um, and But it's not just older adults. It's not just senior adults. Middle adults, young adults, 30s and 40s, they have to worry. They worry about retirement. They worry about they worry about raising their children, making sure they get it right. Well, let me tell you, at, one point, at some point in time, it's going to be out of your hands and going to be in God's hands. You do the best you can, and you pray up, and you teach them right, and you raise them up, but be sure that you go that same way yourself. I have a sign in my office that says, raise your children up right in the way you should go, and when he's depart, when he's old, he will not depart from it, dot, dot, dot. But make sure you're going that way yourself. We can't just raise up children and expect them to do right things when we're out there living a life in sin. We've got to raise them up and teach them right. But they're dealing with raising kids. They're dealing with trying to prepare their nest egg for 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 the future. They're dealing with with trying to climb the ladder in their career they're dealing some of, some of them and I know this because I've dealt with it are dealing with with being laid off and losing a job I lost a job a couple of them I, I, I've done pretty well at that before um it's not easy it's not fun and and they're dealing with those realities and and, and that's a stark stark reality for them and, and and a brutal honest honest thing that they have to deal with and um those things that, that 30s and 40-year-olds and raising families and being a father and being a mother and being responsible and, and putting food on the table and working hard and getting home and managing all that you have to manage, keeping lots of balls in the air, that's a source of anxiety, fear, and worry. Um, teenagers, you guys over here, teenagers, have they, they have tons that they, that they worry about. My daughter, Allie, who... I'm firmly convinced. When we lived here in Thomasville, my wife had a fling with a rocket scientist. <laughs> because Allie was born here, and that child is not belong to me. <laughs> she is smart as a whip, and I'm dumb as a stick. and I'm just playing. Um, she is mine. I claim her. Um, but um, when she was in 10th grade, she was in a private or in a, in a public charter magnet school for for uh, um, academic magnet school. She she had to apply, She got in. And she became obsessed with making straight A's. She and she didn't obsessed with making just straight A's. A ninety three it wasn't good enough. She wanted to make a hundred on every test in every report card. At the end of every year, she wanted to be valedictorian. She wanted to have the highest weighted GPA there was. So much as to where it pulled her down and brought her into a deep level of anxiety and depression. And she began to suffer, and we recognized it. We talked her through it. We didn't talk her through it. Paige and I talked through it. And we got her some help. Took her to a doctor. She got some help, and with a lot of love, patience, and compassion, and um, a little bit of Zoloft, she got through it. I'm being honest. I'm just. It is. It's kind of. It was kind of funny to say, but I'm being honest. She she needed the medical attention. It was that bad. It, that was a reality for her. But she's through it now off the medicine. Now she's doing excellent. Now she got. It. she's going to St. Louis to, to college on a full academic scholarship. She's smart. Um, Does that I say my daughter's smart? I'm proud of her. That's my proud daddy moment. My young ones are wild, wacky, and fun. My oldest one's smart. I don't know what the young ones are going to be when they get old. Maybe they'll be wild, wacky, fun, and smart. I don't know. But um, not just teenagers dealing with making the grades. Some, A lot of them deal with making the team. The stress of making the team, the, the worry, the anxiety, and the fear. Are they going to make the team? Are they not going to make the team? Are they a good enough athlete? And they want so bad to be a part of the team. And some teenagers deal with just the fact of making friends. Some of them are isolated when they go to school. And they sit by themselves and without having many friends or any friends at, at school. And those are real sources of anxiety, fear, and worry for teenagers. Even the smallest children deal with anxiety, fear, and worry. Children today face things that we never faced before. I faced bullying when I was a kid. When you're short, fat, and you got a pimple, or you got a face that looks like a pizza, you're going to get you're going to get beat up. That's just the reality of life. And 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 going to school in 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 the in the early '80s and the late '70s in grade school, you're going to get thumped if you're short, fat, and you have a pizza face. You're going to be the blunt—the blunt of everybody—the the the, the, the blunt—the uh, source of everybody's jokes. Um, but t- kids today—they get bullied for no reason at all. They get cyberbullied. T- kids today face the reality of being isolated, not having friends, wanting to be accepted, wanting to be loved. They have the—they—they—they—they face anxiety, fear, and worry at school. They face it at home. With, with, a, with a divorce rate where it is and skyrocketing where it is, many, so many children are living in, in, in broken homes and homes with divorced parents and they're going back and forth between mom and dad. And they're, sometimes they're often, and I say this because I know, because I have kids in my ministry who I'm dealing with this right now who are, who are being forced to pledge allegiance to one parent over another. And it would be, you love me more than your mom, don't you? And, and no child should have to face that. And that puts so much anxiety on a child that it, 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 it's, it's crippling for them. Well, I know you're probably saying to yourself, Rich, this is all good, and you've told some funny stories, but, you know, you've been preaching for quite a while and had not even opened the Bible. Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, if you will, turn with me to First Kings chapter 19. Actually, we're going to start in 18 a little bit. I want us to look at a man who dealt with severe anxiety, fear, worry, and even depression. And that man was Elijah. Now, some of you may be saying, Elijah, he was the one who battled the prophets of Baal and Asherah on Mount Carmel and defeated them all and killed them all. He he taunted them, dug the trenches around the altar, lit the bull on fire, called fire from heaven. He was the victor. How can he experience depression and isolation and fear and worry and anxiety? We're going to get to that. Don't leave home without them. Okay, I am, I'm I'm going to start reading in 1 Kings chapter 18, looking at verse, four, verse 41. This is kind of the, the pre-point, the prequel to the first point. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went, this is right, by the way, this is right after they defeated the prophets of Baal and Asherah on Mount Carmel, and he had that great victory, and they slaughtered. Nine hundred, yeah, nine hundred prophets, and they killed them all. He and some of some of the few, some of the few select Israelites. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down on the ground, and put his face between his knees. Then I'm skipping over to verse to verse um, forty four. So Elijah said, "Go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you." Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode, to Jez- rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now, that's not really part of the text that I was wanting to read today, but as I was looking over my, my sermon notes this morning, I, I, I realized I had written a note in my margin of my Bible maybe two or three years ago, I don't know how long it was. And it was on this verse. Elijah had just had this great victory, and now here comes this ferocious storm coming in. And he's starting to panic and to fear. And I wrote this note. I said, I've never, personally, I've never heard God through the thunder, but it has often taken thunder in my life to get me to a place where I could hear Oftentimes we don't hear God in the storms of our lives. We don't hear God in the middle of the anxiety, the fear, and the worry, and the depression. But sometimes God uses those things to put us in the position to hear from Him. Let's go on to verse. Excuse me, to chapter nineteen. Now Ahab told Jezreel, Excuse me. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets without the, with the sword. So Jez, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, "May the gods deal with me." Be it, however, so severely by this time tomorrow, if I do not make your life like that of one of them. Basically, she said, Elijah, you're a dead man. I'm going to kill you. I, I, I put a bounty on your head. You're gonna, you're, I'm going to kill you. He has a death threat on him. This is just a maybe a day or so or two after he had had this great victory and, and killed with a few people, had killed 900 false prophets, he gets one death threat from an evil queen, and it says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. That doesn't sound like a victor. That sounds like someone who's dealing with some severe anxiety, fear, and worry. Let's read on. Let's pick up in verse 4. He went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord," he said, "take my life. I am no better than my ancestors." Then 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 he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once the angel an angel of the Lord touched him and said, "Get up and eat." Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Mount Horeb, which is also another name for Mount Sinai, where Moses received the Ten Commandments, to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he went into a cave and spent the night. The first point I want to make is God provides for us during our times of anxiety, fear, and worry, and even depression. Um, My daughter has experienced depression. I have experienced depression on a level that I will not get into this morning, but on a level where I was in a very dark place for a very long time. And it's not fun. It's like a cancer that just eats away at you. I can't explain it. But and, 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 and Elijah was experiencing this. And he, he, he was so depressed and so full of anxiety that he prayed, God, just take my life. Just kill me. Take me away. Take me alive. I don't want to live anymore. This is just this is shortly after this vi- huge victory. But God provided. He gave him something to eat twice and then something to drink. And then he said, now you're strengthened. Now get up and go to the top of Mount Horeb and go, go to this cave. And then let's pick up and read in in verse 9, and continue on in verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to him. This is Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broke down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by then a great wind and a powerful wind tore then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the lord but the lord was not in the wind after the wind there was an earthquake but the lord was not in the earthquake after the earthquake came a fire but the lord was not in the fire and after the fire came a gentle whisper the second point i want to make is God speak, he not only provides for us, but he speaks to us in our times of anxiety, fear, and worry, and depression. But he doesn't always speak to us the way we want him to speak to us. He speaks to us in the way he decides to speak to us. And he doesn't often, he didn't use the wind, he didn't use the earthquake, he didn't use the fire. He used a still, small voice. But he spoke to Elijah. He spoke to him, and he ministered to him, and Elijah heard him. Why did Elijah hear him? How did Elijah hear him? Because Elijah positioned himself to hear from God. Let's let's read on. Going on in verse 13, I'm getting to my third and final point. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over. When he heard the, the whisper of God, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. if we're going to hear god if we're going to listen for god and be prepared to hear his voice whether in good times or in times of anxiety fear worry and depression we have to position ourselves to hear from god god the bible says that elijah pulled his cloak over his face that was a symbol that he was unworthy to 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 encounter god and god he was not worthy to experience the the voice of god speaking to him and that god was so big and so mighty and he was not worthy and too often we don't have that posture we have a posture of I, I, i'm i'm owed this i'm i'm do this but let me tell you god wants to speak to you he wants to speak to you and he will speak to you but it's not always in the way we think he did not speak to elijah in the powerful wind in the mighty earthquake or in the fire he spoke to him in a still small voice now you may be saying how do we put ourselves in a position or in a posture to hear from god well i prayed with, with reese brooker back here before the service and when i was here uh one one of the first things i did is the edu- i was education in youth and um uh, one of the things that i did was i had reese brooker and alfred carver lead a group of adults through this pioneering study called experiencing god and it, it was it had a profound effect on a lot of our people in our church in this church and our church and my church, um, and um, what Henry Blackaby wrote in that in, in that study, and if, you, if you're familiar with the study, if you if you read the book, or you are familiar with it? He says there are certain ways that we know we can hear from God that we are assured to hear from God. The first way is to open up His Word and to read His Word. If you're struggling with anxiety, fear, and doubt, worry, and depression. Open up God's Word. And let me tell you, you don't have to open up, you don't, you don't have to do that. But I, I would encourage you to go to the book of John. Go to the book of John, which, which, which details the life and ministry of Jesus. See how Jesus healed people, ministered to people, loved people, served people, and how He's still in that same business today. He still wants to love, heal, serve, and, and, and minister to you during your, during your, during your time of distress. Read the book of John. The Bible says in Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, God's word will not return void. God will speak to us through His word. Another way that Henry Black can be identified that God speaks to us is through prayer. I teach our kids, and I teach adults, and I teach whoever I'm teaching, a model of prayer that is a is a practical model, but it is a really really good model of prayer. It's called y'all may be familiar with it, the Acts model of prayer acts a adoration or praise give praises to god actually i'm I'm gonna back up beep 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 beep. all heavy machinery beats when it backs up um i i'm sorry i teach the acts model when i'm teaching adults when i teach the children and i'm gonna tell you what i teach kids when i teach children i teach them the pray model of prayer the pray model prayer p stands for praise Give God your praise. Thank Him for what He's done for you. Praise Him for who He is. Give thanks. List and write down or speak out out loud all that God has done for you. Nothing is more combative to anxiety than a grateful heart and a heart full of gratitude. And when you list everything that you had to be grateful for, you'll be amazed at how much God has done for you and how much He's doing for you even now in the middle of your turmoil and your strife. R stands for repent, confess and repent your sins, repent your sins to God so he will hear them, he will hear your prayers. A stands for ask, ask God to to help you, to come out, help you, to to get the help you need to come out, to, to be freed from that anxiety that's holding you down and from that fear and from that worry or that depression. Ask him, the Bible says, ask and you shall receive. And the Y stands for yield. Yield yourself to hear from God. Put yourself in a position. When you're yielding in the intersection, you're putting your car in a position that you're not going to hit another car. Yield yourself to God and put yourself in a position that you can hear from Him and hear His word. He'll hear Him speak to you through His word and through prayer. And He will speak to you. When you yield yourself to Him, He will speak to you. Another way Henry Blackaby says that we hear from God is through the Church. What, a, what, a, what, what, what better way to receive ministry, to receive instruction on life, to receive instruction on the Christian life, to receive instruction on how to deal with prodigal children, how to deal with, 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 with being in the sandwich generation, to receive community, to be a part of a Sunday school class or a small group where you're being edified and you're being fed and you're being, you're being nourished and you're growing. Um, when Paige's mom was in the hospital for over a week and things weren't looking good, our small group at church, our Sunday school class, whatever you want to call it, um, they set up a meal train and they brought us meals every other night for two and a half weeks. They said. That's a benefit of being a part of a church family. They're going to lift you up and provide for you and support you and pray for you and minister to you. You're going to receive God's teaching through this pulpit. I know you will through this pulpit. You will through Sunday school classes. I know teachers like Bob Bradford who teaches faithfully. And, and he I think you're teaching now at, a, at, a, at, a, at, a, at an assisted living. Yeah. But if you're a teacher, thank you. Because people are being edified and glorified. And God speaks to the church. He speaks through your through this body of believers. He speaks through the fellowship. And the fourth way Henry Blackaby says we can hear from God is to surround ourselves with positive Christian influence. And you may be saying, "Well, Rich, you know I work in a, in a secular field and I'm not around Christians." Well, you know what? Go find one. If you can't find one, find a young a young person and mentor that person. And Find an older person and allow that person to mentor you. Be discipled and be a discipler. Someone someone said everybody should be a everybody should have a Paul, everybody should have a Timothy. Everybody should be discipled by Paul and everybody should be discipling a Timothy. Be mentored by Paul, mentored by and mentoring a Timothy. Having it poured in, then being a being being a um a conduit of God's grace and just bringing it in and sending it back out to someone else. And when you're doing that, you're hearing the word of God and God's speaking to you as he speaks to you through other believers and as he speaks to you through people that you are mentoring. And as you're discipling, you will grow and God will speak to you and, and he will get you through the difficult time. Look, I'm not sitting up here saying anxiety and fear and worry and depression is easy to get through because it's not. But you know what? God conquered not just the grave, but he conquered everything that comes before the grave and after the grave through his son Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And all we have to do is receive his gift of eternal life. I tell our kids all the time, I say, when the Bible says in John 1, 12, when you believe that Jesus is God's son, and he died on the cross for your sins, and you received his gift of eternal life, you have become, you have become the children of God. And this is the, we do this all the time in our church and with our children's ministry. Believe and receive. Believe and receive. Believe and receive. And the kids come up to me, Mister. <laughs> what are you teaching my kids, parent? I know it's trust me. It's good. It's good. I promise. I promise. Um, um, but um. And I also teach our kids the gift is yours for free. But just like a birthday gift, if your mom, and I'm, I'm teaching you, telling you, like I tell our kids, I tell our kids, if your mom buys you a birthday present, you say, oh, wow, mom, thanks for the gift, but I don't think I want that. It's not yours. It may have your name on it. It may have been purchased for you. It may be for you, but if you don't receive it, it doesn't belong to you you have to have the act of receiving the gift that has been purchased for you. We have a gift that was purchased on, on the cross that all we have to do is believe it and receive it, and when we do, we have been given the gift of eternal life in heaven and a life overflowing with the goodness of God. That doesn't mean we're going to be free from anxiety, free from fear, free from worry, free from depression. But it does mean that Jesus is going to walk that road with us every step of the way, and He's going to hold us up and lift us strong and lift us high and carry us through. I know because I'm I am a victor in Jesus. I went through depression for a year several years ago, and I was in a very dark place. And I remember praying, God. I don't know if I should pray for death or pray for you to rescue me out of this. God brought me out, and I I, I had to take some medicine. I had to because I was in a deep, dark place, but I got out. God delivered me, and when I got out and I got well, I got off the medicine, hadn't been on it back since, and and God healed me. It wasn't the medicine that healed me. It was God through his son Jesus Christ and his power through the resurrection of Christ that healed me. But God used the powers of miracles of modern medicine and all these resources available to us to bring us to a point where we can be free from that clinical type depression that can cripple us so easy. But whether it be just anxiety and fear and worry, God doesn't want you wallowing in that. He doesn't want you dealing with that. He's not the God of that. He's the God of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He wants the best for you, and all you have to do is believe and receive. Let's pray.